Hey, this is the Forever Learning, aka Forever Growing Podcast. Now I'm gonna jump straight into it. Today's topic, um, I'm gonna be talking about my daughter, Jordan Nelson, that passed away um several years ago. Okay, now usually and today or tonight is a special night because rather y'all hear me talk about it in my spoken word poems, um, or you know, rather y'all hear me talk about it in my speeches. It was just me, but today I have a special guest, a very, very special guest that is a celebrity in my eyes, and it is my beautiful chocolate wife by the name of Janitra Nelson, and we both are going to just be, I mean, it's going to be all raw, um, pretty much freestyled as far as just how we felt before our daughter was diagnosed, when she was diagnosed, and after she passed away. But before I introduce my wife, I just want to say my wife defines the definition of sacrifice. If you look up sacrifice, okay, sacrifice is to give up something, especially for the sake of something or someone else. Okay, so... I feel like my wife, she fits that description. I always say, what are we sacrificing for? I always say a lot of us sacrifice for ourselves. It's all about us. Um, even if we say we're doing it for the family, we're doing it for the loved ones, we're doing it for our friends, it's our own selfish passion, and we don't see no other way out, okay? This is our only thing that's going to get us to this financial freedom or get us to this certain place, but there's something I like to call the ultimate sacrifice where you literally have to stop everything. It's not about what you want to do passionate wise. It's not about any of that. OK, you have to sacrifice yourself, your time, your freedom. <laughs> um, I like to say even some of your sanity, OK, to take care of someone else or to deal with grief or collective grief and whatever the case may be and i've seen you know my wife pretty much do that i mean just a quick story not trying to tell her story but um i go to the same school that she went to um i have my associates i'm going for my bachelor's and you know people always talk about man isaiah like you know you you sacrificed you know what i'm saying to get a better education to be in a better position for you and your family but I put my wife on a higher up because I wouldn't be going to the school if it wasn't for her. And she was on an honor roll. She was getting better grades than me. She was damn near, or if I'm not mistaken, on a 4.0. And she was doing great. And when our daughter became ill with brain cancer, she had to stop it all. I mean, she had to just, she, she couldn't do it anymore to sacrifice Okay, for our daughter, and I thank her for that, for taking care of our daughter, for keeping her here um, as long as she could, or you know, she 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 did. Because if it wasn't for my wife's sacrifice, I don't think our daughter would have made it past two to three months. Okay, I'm not trying to say the doctors didn't have nothing to do with it, or nobody else didn't have nothing to do with it, but my mother was, I mean, my wife was hands on with Jordan. I would like to say, not even exaggerating, 90 if not 95% of the time. So I saw her sacrifice. I saw her do so well in something and then have to just give it up to sacrifice, you know, for our daughter. So without further ado, I would like to introduce 
my lovely wife, the queen, Janitra Nelson. How are you doing tonight? I'm good. Hello, hello, hello. You may want to move more about a mic. Sorry. No, you fine. You fine. Good. Thank you for the very loving and amazing introduction. No problem. No problem. Um, the first question that I'm going to ask um is, and I'll answer it first is, where was our marriage and our lives before Jordan was diagnosed? Um, I'll start off answering that. If I could sum it all up in one word, as far as my career before Jordan was diagnosed, um, I was lost. Um, I was a HIV counselor from the ages of 24 to 28. It was a very good job that I was passionate about. Um, it was a, it wasn't necessarily the business of the job and the management of the job that always got on my nerve, but just what I was doing, the lives that I was affecting and how helping other people helped me because a lot of people I was helping was a mirror and a reflection of me and everybody that, you know, looked out for me and helped me and motivated me to do the public speaking through my job and the spoken word through my job. And even before I got laid off from that job, um, like I felt like it ran its course. Things was taken away. Some of the stuff that I was able to do, I wasn't able to do it anymore. And then when I just got laid off, I hit the crisis stage. Now there's a negative part to the crisis stage and a positive part to the crisis stage. Okay. The positive part of being in a crisis stage, when you talk about your career is that you're having fun. You're not making any commitments. You're just, you know, testing out the field, seeing what's out there, see where you fit in at. But the negative part is when you're kind of trying to hurry up and make a commitment and you feel like you're going through this midlife crisis where it's like, okay, I was 28 when I got laid off. So I'm like, okay, I don't want to be 30 and I don't know what the hell I want to do. So, um, I was in that negative crisis stage where I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. It was me searching on Craigslist, trying to find that next thing. As far as my spoken word and my music, I didn't know what the hell to talk about. I was, I got tired of talking about the HIV thing. And even to a certain extent, the, the, you know, community stuff. Like, I feel like I talked about that enough. Um, I, I mean, even if y'all to listen to some of my music around that time, um, it was decent music, but it wasn't like, it just wasn't there as far as my creative process. So the two words is lost, um, confusion. And the third word would be purpose. I didn't have a purpose in life. You need a purpose, passion. You need to be able to provide and you need to enjoy the pleasures of life, the four P's. Right. And I did not have a purpose. I didn't know what was what. And then it caused me to be selfish within my marriage and within um, my kids, not selfish in a way to where I didn't care about them. And I only cared about myself because I didn't have a purpose because I was lost, because I was confused about certain things. Um, I left my wife out of the loop with, you know, a lot of things when I would do certain things, I would get other people and leave her out of it. I just felt like I could do everything myself. Okay. And, um, me and her didn't have a spiritual connection. Um, we was kind of fading in that area. Uh, as, as far as emotional, we wasn't connecting in that area. As far as communication, we definitely wasn't connecting in that area. And the marriage was not terrible, but it just didn't have, you know, a purpose. The purpose was kind of fading. 
Okay, and it was causing me to be selfish. I wasn't really paying attention to the kids as far as like the certain conditions and signs and symptoms that they were having. I spent time with them. Um, you know, I pitched in, but I wasn't really paying attention to some of the things that my wife was paying attention to. So, I mean, I hate to say it, but when Jordan was diagnosed with brain cancer, that's when the purpose started. That's when the communication started that's when the spiritual connection started that's when the selfishness ended because i always say with grief whether you lose someone or something okay um something's supposed to stop start and be researched you know so the selfishness stopped okay the, the real purpose started and then researching what the hell is going on when she was diagnosed started to begin so that's what kind of happened when Jordan got diagnosed with brain cancer. I started to, okay, slowly but surely find out what I was lacking in, how selfish I was in a lot of areas, whether it's my kids and my wife, how I was scattering all over the place. I remember I got so desperate to where I was <laughs> about to work at a job that was basically for older, you know, um, white women that basically package up suburban antiques and from from mansions and stuff it wasn't you know a job for me at all and the lady that was white was very honest who was the manager of the company she sat me down and she said somebody like me i know what she really wanted to say but she said somebody like me working at you know being at these mansions around these certain type of people is not the right fit it's not really a man's job anyway and she said looking at my resume which i was she said look you're overqualified you don't even I don't even see why you even trying to interview here. You know, you can do bigger and better things. So, you know, I was just a big mess. And when Jordan got diagnosed with brain cancer, everything started to come together. I wasn't even in school at the time. Um, you know, and everything started to come together as far as school, my purpose, um, what I was supposed to be talking about and what I was supposed to be doing and making it about us, the family. And so I'm going to ask you... Um, pretty much that that same question where was you at as far as your life and then how you feel our marriage was before jordan was diagnosed with um brain cancer well it's funny because you actually <laughs> told the whole story so um i don't know i mean i feel like i kind of feel the same way uh at that time i felt like our marriage was a little strained um, I feel like we both were going through our own battles separately and we didn't really have a full understanding of what each other were going through. Um, I know for me, I was going through, um, just a lot mentally. Uh, I had just had Jazara and I felt, I knew I was a good mom, but I felt a little insecure as a mom. Um, just because the twins couldn't talk and, you know, they had a speech delay. So I was going through that, taking them back and forth to the doctor and just trying to figure out what was going on with them and why they weren't speaking and, um, having their milestone, meeting their milestones related to speech. So, um, I kept being told that it's just a speech delay and don't worry, they'll talk and everybody, you know, catches up at their own time. So I was trying to get them into speech therapy and, we weren't really on the same page with appointments and, and getting that because we had one car and there was just a lot going on with that. And 
at the same time, I was kind of growing out of some insecurities, not about myself uh, related to being a mom. Um, it was also, I was insecure in our connection. Um, I didn't feel like it was as deep as it should have been at the time. I didn't understand that it was okay and actually necessary for you to have connections with other people. <laughs> and that's a whole nother different topic for another episode. So, um, uh, I don't know. Um, but just us experiencing this together, I feel like seeing each other at our most vulnerable state, it really has deepened our spiritual connection, our spiritual marriage. Um, I feel like it was the first time in my life that I felt not in control and I literally didn't have the ability to think clearly. I wasn't in control of my emotions and that caused me to show a lot of my weaknesses or so-called weaknesses um, that I didn't even know I had. And um, But there was so much beauty in that pain that I felt just being raw and vulnerable and not trying to solve the problem, just, just being in that moment and having to deal with it and then you having to see me in it. I feel like that built built our connection and it made it a lot stronger, um, as, as strong as it could be. Yep, and I like the point, The one of the points that you made, um, you was talking about the um, connection with um, other people, which is another reason... I say whenever grief happens, something's supposed to stop, start, or be researched um, at the time. And I'm glad you brought that up because I forgot to mention this. Me being in my crisis stages, just trying to find my purpose, um, it caused me to do certain things financially with certain people. Um, you can call it pyramids. <laughs> um, you can call it the so-called get-rich scheme or a dead-end philosophy. Um, whatever the case may be, you know, it just caused me um, to um, kind of not consult with my wife with everything that I was pretty much doing. And even though I would tell her what I was doing, because I never just hid anything from her, um, it was the repeated thing. Like, I get into one thing, it don't work out, we lose money, and then I want to hop on into something else, and then hop on it into something else. And then when it kind of went into females, as far as connecting with, you know, certain females trying to, you know do whatever that I was trying to do. <laughs> Cause again, it's funny when you don't, you can't find your purpose and you're going through the crisis stage. It's almost like you're hoeing around trying to find that connection everywhere, not knowing that it's pretty much at home. And I talked about this in an episode by myself, but me and my wife's going to be doing another episode. Uh, well, I'm going to be doing another episode about sexuality where She's going to be in on it to kind of give both of our perspectives. But now that she kind of explained to be my sexuality as far as being a demisexual and part sapiosexual and me being an empath is understandable now why I was connecting with the other woman. But now because we know that, OK, it's not I know when to sit back. I'm more strict now because I know my emotions and my feelings are very sensitive. So I have to be careful with who I'm, who I am connecting with, whether where back then we didn't even have that discussion. 
We ain't even talk about, you know, we ain't even talk about that. It's kind of like you don't know that you have a gift and you just letting everybody use your gift. You know, you playing yourself with your gift. You're acting foolish, not knowing that you got a gift. And you just, because you don't have that someone that can kind of, or you're not listening to that someone that's trying to tell you how to use it in a better way to go about it. Okay. And we were separate in that area. So it's funny how a little girl, our baby girl, okay, her becoming diagnosed, her um, being diagnosed with brain cancer and even her passing away, not just, it didn't just teach me how to be unselfish. It didn't just teach me how to be a better father or a better husband. It also helped me find out my damn sexuality as far as how I need to connect with my wife on an intimate level, on an emotional level, or even dealing with other, um, you know what I'm saying, woman. That one situation, or should I say those multiple situations where her being diagnosed and her pretty much passing away. Because before then, I was just all over the place, not knowing what, not knowing this from that, up and down, left to right, whatever you want to pretty much... um you know, um, call it. But anyways, going into the next question, cause like she said, we're going to talk about that. We're going to break that down as far as, um, you know, uh, sexuality, dealing with open marriage, consent and, and, and all dem demisexual and all that stuff. Oh, we definitely going to talk about that together. I talked about it by myself, but it's only fair to have my wife in on it so she can give her perspective. But that's not what this episode is about. Even though our daughter going through what she going through and her sacrificing her life did help me and my wife connect and understand better on that level. The difference between jealousy and being territorial. Okay. Misunderstanding certain situations, but that's not the episode four, but I just wanted to touch on that because she brought up a profound point. The next question is what, um, when Jordan first got sick, okay, what was we doing? What was going on? How did it happen? I have a poem, um, is actually on, my album, okay, if, you know, y'all look on Bandcamp, the song, or the, the spoken word piece, because it's an acapella, excuse me, um, it's called Jordan's Story, and, and matter of fact, if y'all want to hear that, you know, just message me, let me know, and then I can send y'all the link to that, again, it's called Jordan's Story, a lot of you that's listening to this, y'all already heard it, y'all saw the video, if y'all came to um, our daughter's, you know, funeral service, you know, I spit the poem. So I'm saying that to say there's no point, there's no point of me, or should I say is, is really don't do me any justice to kind of repeat the whole thing over again. Um, because like I said, it's in the poem, it's in a video, and it's even going to be in my upcoming autobiography book. So, I mean, the story, you know, is kind of like a broken record. Because like I said, I talked about my perspective, but nobody really ever heard my wife's perspective, what she went through when she saw our daughter having signs of symptoms, what she went through when she was down at the hospital, when she had to run our daughter to the emergency room. Okay. She never gave her side of the story. I never said it in the poem or in a video out of respect because it wasn't my story to tell. But I will just say that when it's time for your purpose to be fulfilled, it don't matter what the hell you're doing. Um, it was a regular Sunday. The Sunday I was off. I was, you know, getting my mind ready to go to work the next day, watching the Detroit Lions lose another game. Um, I was, you know, watching the kids, letting my wife get some rest. You know, Jordan and Isaiah was, you know, I guess Jordan was messing with Isaiah, had to isolate her. 
And then I thought she fell asleep when I went to check on her. Um, I, me being a brat, I put a little bit of water on her face. And then when she woke up, she started throwing up repeatedly. Um, I thought that um, when she was tired and weak, I thought that she was sick when she threw up. And I'm like, okay, this is like a stomach virus. And then I thought I did a good job by getting her together and all of that. As far as me diagnosing the situation, when my wife woke up and she double checked, Okay, she knew something was wrong. And from there, I'm going to let her take over and give her side of the story. Um, well, honestly, I'll, I'll do the best I can. But everything in that moment was just so fast and just boom, 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 boom. Right. So I I can't remember every single detail. But I just know um, when I woke up, uh, you told me that, you know, she had thrown up and... I, I was, you know, irritated because you didn't wake me up. <laughs> and um, so I went to check on her and she was just sleeping. So I let her sleep for a little bit. It was just peeking in on her, in and out. And um, so the next time I went to check on her after, you know, a couple times, she was awake. And she was, you know, I was giving her sips of water. But I just noticed that her eyes looked funny. And um, it was like she was just kind of staring through me, not really looking at me. And I noticed that she wasn't really moving her right side. Or was it her left side? I can't remember. Yeah, it was her left side. That her left was side. Yeah, thank you. So, um, I don't know. I just uh, was like, well, we went to the hospital. Because it didn't, just didn't feel right. didn't look right. So, packed her up. Went to the emergency room. And when we got in there, you know, I guess the doctors automatically knew something was wrong. And from there, it was just chaotic I had it was like I can't even count it looked like 25 people coming at me surrounded around us um asking me a million questions did she take anything did she get into any chemicals did she did I just everything and I'm just like no no and you know why are they asking me this what why was she what's going on I thought this was just maybe a stomach virus or you know, clearly I knew it was something more at that point, but I didn't think anything crazy. So, um, the questions were just throwing me off and kind of sending me into a panic attack. So, um, and at the same time, like they were focused on her, which I wanted them to be, but I'm like standing there about to pass out at that point because I just felt so weak. And, um, so I just kind of leaned against the wall and, you know, was just letting them do what they were doing, which was taking vitals and just asking me questions. So then they took her back for a CAT scan and, um, they came back out and that's when they told me that she had a bleeding mass in her brain. And at that moment, I just kind of, my knees buckled and I was about to fall. Somebody caught me and... I don't like I don't remember what happened after that um I think uh I don't know I kind of went blank a little bit so a little bit after that I remember being in the bathroom and I called you and that's when I told you what was going on I just remember crying hysterically I couldn't even catch my breath and even talking about it kind of sending me <laughs> a little bit into that a little bit where I'm trying to catch my breath right now because I'm having memories just talking about yeah it. and it don't, i don't think you sounded hysterical <clears throat> i think you sounded lost and confused because i can remember just feeling numb like what the hell because it was just a regular damn day like you know usually you see certain things leading up to certain things right. 
you know, but it wasn't like that. It's kind of like you leave out, you just going to go to the store to get some milk and eggs, and then you get into a fatal car accident, and you just in shock because you're like, all I want to do is go to the damn store and get some milk and eggs. Now, why is I'm in the back of an ambulance, mm-hmm. you know, and my car is wrecked, and I'm and I'm hanging on to dear life, you know, and your life just changed in a, um instance. Yeah. And um, that's just how I feel. But before moving on, um, I want my wife to explain what our daughter was actually diagnosed with and what is it exactly? Yes, very important, um, you know, because a lot of people don't even know what DIPG is and that's what she was diagnosed with. And even at the hospital, the doctors didn't even know what it was. It took them, um, I think about a, a full day and a half to figure out exactly what it was and they had to send over records and get other opinions of course and just to make sure it was what it was and um so she was diagnosed with DIPG which is a brainstem tumor um in the pons of the brain um hers is in the fourth ventricle um and you guys can google and you know research that it's the diffuse intrinsic pontine glioma DIPG um, a lot of people haven't heard of that and they say it's rare, but at the same time, so many children and now adults as well are being diagnosed right, with this and you know, the prognosis is nine to 12 months. Um, Jordan passed away in her 10th month. Um, but she had complications to a medication, um, is, you know, that, uh, caused her to go into liver failure. So that was her actual um, prognosis of what she passed away from. But that um, 9 to 12 months is the prognosis for DIPG. And thanks for explaining it. Because um, I, I often forget at times just, you know, what it stands for and all of that. So that's good education for myself as well. Now, remember what I said. Whenever you're going through grief, something has to start, stop, or be researched. So the next question is, um, what, you know, did we have to stop and sacrifice? I already explained it in the beginning. Um, the day that she was diagnosed, it's crazy how much, I, how much the sacrifice got bigger and bigger. Okay. So when she was first diagnosed with brain cancer, everything stopped. Okay. All the crazy crisis that I was going through, all of that, like all of that had to pretty much stop. And that wasn't it because my wife can mistake me if I'm wrong. Um, but I believe our daughter had to go through radiation because I was still thinking like, okay, I can still work. You know, you still trying to go through life, like, you know, things a little bit normal. Okay. Um, and I think some of that, as far as me fighting to be normal is because my life never was normal. Okay. Again, you know, coming up in a home, you know, where, you know, my parents, you know, have HIV and stuff like that. Like, I just wanted to be normal. So when I thought things was normal, you know, I married a normal woman, okay, <laughs> my wife, you know, that wasn't crazy, okay, it was nothing going on. We have beautiful kids, and now this happens, so now we back to this sickness stuff again that I had to grow up with. You know, I was still fighting to be normal, okay? I'm still going to go to work, even though our daughter, okay, is diagnosed, I still feel like I can work, okay? 
And I can remember I was going to a re-up training because I was a bank officer at the time. And we had to go to the range and shoot to be requalified to carry a gun, you know, at the bank to secure it. And I can remember sitting in the parking lot and my wife telling me, like, it's no way out. Like, you know, it's no way out. Like, you can't really go to work because she has to be, um, she has, she needs radiation. I believe she said five days a week. Yeah, it was five days a week for six weeks. Right. And, you know, we got three kids. Somebody got to watch the other kids. So it was no way out. So I can remember the selfishness kicking in because I'm like, man, I want to provide. I want to, this is, this is what I like doing to provide for my family. I want to do, do what I do. Like, damn, now I have to stop. Like, I thought I can at least, I mean, I talked to the manager, the supervisor, they was going to work around everything. It was very understandable, but now I got to tell them I can't come to work for six weeks. Okay. And then I remember at the time me and my wife was budgeting and we was talking about, uh, I can remember we was talking about getting like a couch, something for Jordan, because we didn't know how to get a medical bed. Um, we knew we was going to need certain things. And I'm like, how in the hell are we going to pay these bills? Because that's another thing. Um, I was not good at paying bills. I was not good at being on time paying bills. And I'm like, if I can't pay them on time now and I'm working now, how in the world is we going to do it with donation money and wherever the hell, you know, we're going to get, um, you know, money from. Thank God I had something independent with being an NRA instructor. That's why I advise people to get into something independent. It ain't got to be a fancy LLC, but, you know, just get into something. Because me being an NRA instructor, it did, you know, um, you know, help out to pay some of the bills around that time. But, you know, again... I didn't know we were where we were going to get some of this equipment from wheelchair medical uh, bid that Jordan needed, how the bills was going to get paid. And that's when a sacrifice got real because it went from sacrificing to fulfill the passion to provide to now forget you sacrificing, using your passion to provide. You have to sacrifice for the sake of your child and find those resources outside of what you're used to, you know, doing. And I'll let my wife kind of explain that area as far as some of the resources that she found, okay, um, because she became the provider at that point with finding the resources. But first, what did she feel like she had to sacrifice? I already mentioned how she had to basically, you know, step out of school. But I'll let her kind of give her perspective as far as um, her sacrifice. Um, well, basically it was just, you know, school. <laughs> it meant a lot to me because like I um, explained, um, in the beginning, I was kind of going through a lot with insecurities and stuff. So I was at home with the kids and feeling like I was kind of useless. I was just a mom. And so I was like, okay, well, since I'm at home, let me just do something with myself. Let me go back to school. So I started to go back to school. I was doing so great. I was on a Dean's list every month. I was... I had a 4.0 um, on the honor roll, on high honor roll. Um, I was doing really well. And um, so when she got sick, the school that I was attending, you they give you a seven-day grace period. If you don't turn anything in within seven days, then they drop you. So mm. I tried to stick it out at the hospital. 
Um, I tried to turn in work, but it was just so much coming at me. Doctors in and right. out. Like every, every <laughs> I can't even, it was just a lot. I had doctors coming in there, social workers and lawyers, just all kind of people and different technicians. And I couldn't concentrate on that. So I'm like, man, <laughs> F this. So, you know, I just, I couldn't focus on it. So at that point, um, it hurt. I had, I got a call from one of the administrators and they were confused. They were like, what's going on? You know, you are 4.0 student. What's going on? You just didn't turn anything in. And I had to explain what was happening. And they were just like, you know, they, they were sorry. And I can come back, you know, whenever I wanted to. But um, they had to let me go. So I just went in the bathroom and just cried my eyes out. And right after I came out the bathroom, I had a social worker standing there waiting to talk to me. <laughs> And I'm like, oh my goodness, like, I just didn't feel like dealing with that at that moment. But, um, you know, you, you, you do what you have to do, you know, as a parent and in a crisis situation at that moment, I was just on go mode. So, um, I just kicked it in and did what I had to do in order to get things going. I knew, you know, we couldn't work. Um, so things had to get paid and, um, one of my, one of the technicians, um, who did Jordan's EEG, um, very sweet lady. When I met her, um, she came in the room and she was with her partner and the lady asked her if she felt like she could handle it. And so I was thinking like, what's going on? And so she pulled me to the side and told me that her daughter had passed away, um, just a couple of years before that from leukemia. And, um, so, you know, we kind of bonded over that, you know, and she even, I couldn't really eat at that moment. For one, I didn't have no money to eat. <laughs> and for two, I, I just didn't have an appetite. I was, I didn't care to eat. So she took me downstairs and bought me some food and, um, was just talking to me and encouraging me. And it meant a lot to me. So that helped out. Um, and she told me about a foundation called Angels of Hope. And they are amazing. I mean, I can't even express it enough in words, just how much they actually helped us. Um, we were, I think they paid our rent up for like three months, I think. And um, so we didn't have to worry about that um, while Jordan was getting her treatments. And outside of radiation every day, she also had so many other appointments. She had occupational therapy, physical therapy, speech therapy um it was something else what else did we have to do i can't even remember it was just so much going on yeah um, it was a lot every day <laughs> every day it was something not to mention still trying to get other stuff going on with the kids with their um speech delays and stuff like that and um but you did but i mean you did a good job um i can remember feeling relaxed and it's amazing when you can feel um, relaxed. And that's why I always say, um, I understand people want to put a gender on God um, and they use nature to try to prove their point. And we go by these certain philosophies, but the universe and in, in, in the heavens, whatever you want to call it, it's damn confusing. It's like you try to build a building to Babylon and then the languages get, get confused because... I had to sit back and allow my wife to do what she do. Um, if I was hanging on to these male 
gender stereotypes, um, we wouldn't have, we wouldn't have, you know, made it. Um, and a woman can provide too. Also, a woman can take a leadership position is picking each other up. I'm stronger in certain areas and she's stronger in certain areas. Also, you got to get rid of that damn gender stuff as far as a man's supposed to do this and a woman's supposed to do that because it wasn't no damn what a woman's supposed to do to kids stuff and a man, nah, I had no damn choice. I had to be, I had to carry myself like a mother, <laughs> okay, because I had to look after Isaiah and Zari Isaiah Jr. and Zari, because Jordan, I mean, she took up so much time as far as my wife, because it was so many things that she needed all the times when I wasn't really paying attention to my kids. Now I had to pay attention to them. Now I had to focus on them. I had to deal with, you know, my son's autism and his meltdowns and things of that nature. And it felt good to just let go and not hold on to stereotypes and allow her to kind of take care of a lot of stuff as far as trying to get the SSI, as far as couponing, as far as finding um, resources, um, as far as allowing her to take the leadership role as far as, you know, just knowing what to do with Jordan and keeping me on my game as far as certain appointments and how to handle the kids. I had to, you know, humble uh, myself. And then she had to take on my position as far as saying, look, I got to take care of things. I got to, as far as finding the resources, because I didn't know what to do. And I'm, she didn't know what to do either. But what I'm saying is, is that the universe was gearing everything towards her as far as being able to bring in resources where I can sit back and say, okay, it's not all about me. Because that's what I was thinking in the beginning. As far as I got to do this, I got to do that to provide, you know, for my family. And it taught me how to be humble. I mean, people donated, you know what I'm saying, um, to us. And I had to accept that. You know, I had to accept to accept help because we are delusional. We'll complain. It's all, I got to do this all on my own. I got to do this. I got to do that, man. I got to, I got to, and then when people is bringing in resources, when they're trying to help out, now you want to back away because you're kind of is addicted to that. It's, I, I got to do it on my own type thing. So that was something that I had to, you know, fight. So I always try to thank my wife um, a lot. And even on this platform, just thank her again, as far as showing me the definition of a marriage is not about a man only stays here and a woman only stay there. No, the game plan may switch up. Okay. It may be like, okay, you got to do the pick and roll. I know I usually do it, but now you got to do it. I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent. Like I'm, you know, 50%. She's still a woman and I'm still a man because we both can't, I can't be as emotionally connected to the kids as she is, or she can't do all of the physical work that I was able to do. That's not the point. What I'm saying is, is that when you talk about resources, when you talk about parenting, when you look up the definition, the definition of resources is not when the man Okay, and the definition of parenting is not when the woman. There's no gender to the definition unless you make up a definition. All right, there's no definition to that. Even when you look at provide, provide doesn't have a male or female at the end of that word. Okay, provide actually don't just mean bringing in money. It's providing love, providing discipline, providing structure, providing understanding. You can put anything at the end of that provide, even something negative. Okay, providing trauma, providing confusion. So again, um, it just had me look at things on a broader 
you know, um, scale. And also the bills got paid better when it was all on us than when, when it was when I had a job. I can remember being, I can remember being nervous as hell because I thought, damn, like, I'm going to get laid off from this job and what are we going to do? Because this job pays damn near all of our, you know, bills. Okay. Um, I can remember saying, okay, I got to get this gun class going as an NRA instructor because this is the only extra money that's coming in. And what it taught us, it, I don't know if she can speak on it, but now I don't really give a damn as far as what a job keeping me or like um, letting me go because now, yeah, now, now I understand spiritual wealth. And again, the meaning of spiritual wealth is understanding that resources is energy, resources being at the right place at the right time, resources is letting go of your ego and looking at every resource, rather it's um, donations, okay, people um, put down go, go fund me, you a dumbass if you put that down, because again, that is a form of resource, idiot, like that's how you get resources coming in, even, even if you have life insurance, I would still do a go, a go fund me, your words can bring in um, resources. Your energy can bring in resources. Your talent can bring in resources. Your gifts can bring in resources. Your teamwork and your marriage can bring in resources. All of these things can bring in resources. But you do not understand spiritual wealth if you think it all comes from that one job or that one independence or that one thing. Okay, resources come in many forms. The question is, how much spiritual wealth can you gain? Okay, that's that's what the question is. So in this, it taught me the true meaning of spiritual wealth okay um and uh that's that's just pretty much how how i feel about that so moving on to uh the next question okay i want to ask what helped jordan's health i'm gonna do an episode about this but there was an antibiotic that i feel like um made our daughter's health weaker because when my wife was doing certain things with Jordan, um, she was getting better. So what were some of the things that you were doing as far as helping Jordan's um, health? Um, I honestly didn't even know what I was doing. I used to stay up all night because I couldn't sleep. So I would just stay up all night and just research different things and um, different uh, programs that other people had tried as far as holistic um, medicine and um, different clinical trials and I would apply to those and of course she would get denied because they said she was um like too far along and she basically like had no hope is how they would put it just in medical terms um so I would just stay up all night and research different things and um I ended up finding um like you know turmeric with the black pepper um would help and um um, tart cherry juice and um you know at the time she couldn't eat solids so they had her on um like a nutritional drink it had dairy in it and i found out that the dairy um actually feeds the cancer cells right <laughs> so i talked to a nutritionist that crazy? and um <laughs> yeah so i talked to a nutritionist and she told me um you know, to keep her on it, but maybe I could just try to substitute things and give her um, some pureed vegetables. But she was afraid that she wouldn't be able to get it down. And <laughs> it was just a lot. So I ended up taking her to have a, um, I forgot what they call it, but where they tested um, if she could eat um, the puree that I was making. So I ended up doing smoothies and I would just make her different green smoothies and um, or different purees. 
and uh, I would just put different stuff in it. Like it was telling you not to give her that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it helped her. It helped her. Right. Like within, I would say within like a month and a half, um, she was able to move um, her right side better. She started moving her left side slowly, like raising her hand and moving her fingers and um, moving her toes, lifting her foot a little bit. And it was actually helping her a lot. And um, she started talking again. Um, as far as like her little singing she would do and stuff like that. So that was really nice to hear her voice again. So that was pretty much what I did. Just that I can't really think of anything else I did. Um, I remember one thing, showed her a lot of love (laughs) (laughs) that, that helped out a lot. And I just want to say this real quick. Um, I'm not putting down any nutritionists, any doctors. I mean, I'm in, you know, the same field, not in the hospital field, but, you know, I was an HIV counselor. I'm in the human services field. So, you know, I followed a script too, but um, it's a class I'm taking where it's talking about humanities. And in this humanity class, it's just pretty much saying that, you know, you, you can't just, what makes you best at your craft is the ability to look at things from all angles. Sometimes you get so stuck on a script where you don't see anything else outside of that. So people are dying, people are getting sicker. And instead of you getting out of the damn script and then thinking outside of the box, because you have some doctors that do that. It was a doctor that prescribed the 80-year-old woman turkey tail mushrooms when cancer was eating up the left side of her body. Okay, and when she took the turkey tail mushrooms, it ate up the cancer. It got rid of it. She was 80 years old. You know, so, you know, again... Sometimes you got to think outside of the box, but if you are in a field where you cannot think outside of the box, you know, you're not really is going to be doing the job the best way. You feel like you're doing the best job, but you're really not. Um, I've, I've worked alongside probation officers, counselors, um, even, you know, therapists. And what I find more effective is those in those professionals that think outside of the box and don't always go off the script. Okay, listen to your client and how they're trying to communicate things. So moving on. Before you move on, I just wanted to say real quick. um, No one thing can cure you. Um, There's no miracle cure. So it is an accumulation of multiple things. Um, A healthy diet, um, your therapies, physical therapy, occupational therapy. Um, um, I even like was rubbing like oils on her and stuff like that. Um, and then in in that critical state where she was, when she was first diagnosed, when she first got sick, there is no way that a smoothie would have cured her or, or shrunk that tumor without radiation. So at that point, as damaging as radiation can be, and it's funny because I actually went to school for radiation therapy, (laughs) but you know, that's the circle of life. But anyway, um, as damaging as radiation can be in that critical state, it was beneficial. So that's where you have to weigh your options. You know, do you give a three-year-old radiation or do you just kind of wing it and see what happens? And in that point, um, we chose to do what we had to do and give her radiation. So that did, um, in the, in the, you know, with everything else, it helped. You brought up a very great point. I missed that point, And you brought up a very great point. You said everything aligns together. Um, even when I did the episode with, my with my mother who's a two-time cancer survivor hey hey yay (laughs) um you know she um talked about how everything had to align together um everything worked together and the biggest complaint with my wife with myself and even my mother is when doctors don't hear you 
nutritionists, they don't hear you out. Everything is about the script. We're not saying everything y'all do is wrong. Just listen. Think outside of the damn box. That's all we're saying. We're not coming in there telling you that everything you're doing is wrong. And even if you are natural, and even if you are, you know, um, into holistics, it's not just one thing. You know, you can't just take a smoothie and think that's supposed to cure anxiety, depression, cancer, diabetes, and all that. It may take er other herbs. It may take oils. It may take certain forms of meditation, um, even massages, because certain types of massages, um, it, it, it um, cleans the toxins out of your body. There's toxins that constantly goes into your skin that massaging can pretty much help get the toxins out of your body some of these toxins affects your mood and the pains in your body you know so it's all of those things okay now moving on i want to talk about when jordan passed away at the hospital as crazy as this is um it was a blessing in disguise again i went back into that providing mode um i can remember being stressed out because jordan was Back at the hospital, you know, with Isaiah, me just learning his autism. I'm like, okay, now we got to get a dog on babysitter to, you know, watch, um, you know what I'm saying, um, um, Isaiah again and, you know, all of this stuff. So I can just remember being frustrated about that because I'm kind of, you know, stuck on my kids where I kind of get nervous, you know, with not that because I feel like my sister-in-law is real good at, you know, watching the kids. And I think she has a special connection with, with Isaiah. Isaiah seemed very calm around her. Seemed like she's one of the few that can calm him down when he kind of get um, uptight. But it's just that ego thing where I'm like, dang, like, what if they stressing them out? Okay. And I got to go on. So, and I got to go and watch them. So I can remember when Jordan had to go to the emergency room again. Um, I'm like, dang, like it was, it was like, it was like a ticking bomb. Like, okay, they can only watch the kids for so long because the kids may burn them out. And it was me being delusional because they weren't even complaining. Okay. And then I started thinking about working. Can you believe it? I'm thinking about working because I'm optimistic. I'm like, I was at a point in time where I'm like, okay, I'm prepared to sacrifice for my daughter. Okay. I'm prepared to take care of her for, you know, the rest of my life, even when she get grown, you know, it's not about me, them getting grown and them, them leaving and me moving on and doing this and doing that. I'm like, Hey, with a loving family, with me and my wife sticking together, you know, we got this. So I was very optimistic. I didn't see death. Okay. So I'm like, okay, she going to get out of this hospital, but it's just still burnt burning me out because it's like, now I got to call off of work again. I just re received, um, you know, two jobs, you know, that was flexible schedules. It was decent money. I'm like, okay, now we got to do this all over again. Cause you got to go back in the emergency room. Oh man. Like <laughs> here we go. Um, and I was thinking, should I go back to work? But that's why I say for people that do not believe in, you know, an outer spirit, I don't know what what's more evident. We can pull up books and all this other stuff, but there's no other, qualification and personal experience and i can tell you my body my flesh my ego whatever the hell you want to call it was telling me to go to work when my daughter was at the um was in was in emergency because i believe she was at michigan uh hospital was she, she michigan was yeah yeah my okay my children's hospital. yeah my you said my children's hospital m-o-t-t-s yeah my children's hospital um like you know even with her being there like i was still and that's way out I was still thinking about like just leaving, going back to going back to work and then picking up the kids and then Janitra was gonna be with the kids. You I mean be with Jordan and then when Jordan ready to get out of the hospital, she gonna we gonna she gonna bring her back home. It's like I was in the same mindset when Jordan first got 
first went to the um, emergency room. I'm like, okay, she's going to take Jordan to the emergency room. It's a stomach virus, and she's going to come back home. My mindset was there again. I got to leave. I got to go to work. I got to make this money. I got to provide. Then I got to get the kids so they can have a break from watching them. And then Janitra going to bring Jordan home, and we're going to be fine. Well, it was a spirit that was telling me, you need to shut your ass up and sit still. Do not go anywhere. Do not go to work. They have the kids stay there. And I did. And the good thing is, is that by me doing that, that was Jordan's last days. And Jordan went away like a champ. When she was born, she didn't cry. When she passed away, she didn't kick and scream. She just let herself go. Okay. And um, I can just remember feeling good at that moment because I'm thinking, what if I would have left and Jordan passed away and my wife had to go through that by herself just like when she went to the emergency room the first time with jordan and she had to go through that by herself even though she had no choice because i had to watch the kids but this time there's a choice i don't have to leave okay the family got the kids they taking turns my mother was going to help but watching it was going to help with watching the kids and then my my, my father-in-law mama-in-law and you know sister like everybody was pitching in so it was no reason so now i got a choice and i felt like if i would have left that night and my wife would have went through that by herself, our marriage would have been tarnished because she would have felt like I put other things over the bottom line. And in a way, I would have had. So, you know, just kind of give your perspective as far as Jordan's last days. Um. Okay, so we, uh, we started off at Beaumont. That was where she was getting her treatment and where all her doctors and stuff were, Beaumont's Children's Hospital. So um, I took her there because she was having some complications with her swelling in her leg and her levels were off and stuff like that. She had gotten jaundice. So um, it was like each time it was like more escalated. So her doctor told me her um, her uh, oncologist told me that he couldn't really do anything and she needed further testing. So they had to send us over to Mott's. So that was like, um, okay, you know, this is a little more than what I expected. So first they were talking about um, sending us over in a helicopter. And I'm like, okay, this is really more than I expected. And then they ended up um, just sending us through, uh, through ambulance. So we got over to Mott's and um, we were there for like five days. Then they started talking about um, having us meet up with palliative care. And I'm like, okay, so that means that they can't do anything else pretty much. That's what they came in there and told us, you know, um, that her liver was continuing to fail. Her levels mm -hmm. were just way too high. They couldn't regulate them. Um, so we talked about it. We discussed it and said that we would just take her home and, let her, you know, live out her last days at home, you know, so that was the plan. Um, and unfortunately we didn't make it back home. So that night, um, when it happened, I just remember, um, I don't, it's such a, a eerie feeling. I wasn't okay. <laughs> Definitely wasn't okay. But I think I was just in such self-preservation mode. Like, I don't, I still to this day, I don't know how I was able to walk out of that hospital and leave her there. I don't, right. I don't even know how I did it. I don't, I don't know. I don't, it was just a very eerie feeling. I remember, um, they were pumping her chest and 
they came over and asked us, you know, if we wanted her to keep doing it. Because at that point, if they had brought her, you know, like brought her back or whatever, um, she would have possibly been in a coma like she was before mm. it happened. Um, or she would have had to get dialysis through her neck continuously and still be in a vegetative state pretty much. So it was a choice, you know, in that moment. And um, we just chose to let her go peacefully. I didn't want them to keep banging on her chest and all of that. You didn't want them to do that. So we just agreed to just let her go, you know, um, peacefully. And um, the doctor, uh, I remember holding her in my arms and he was sitting right next to me. And the doctor looked up at me after he was, he was checking her heart rate to make sure, you know, it has stopped beating. And, um, it was just so weird. I'll never forget. Like when he looked up at me, he was like, I'm sorry to tell you, your daughter, um, your daughter has died. And I, I just felt like it was so strange. He probably didn't even mean it, you know, in a, and I just felt like he was evil and I don't know why I felt like that. <laughs> It was really strange, but, um, I think it was just, just a lot of emotions I was going through and just finding somebody to not blame, but just, I didn't know how to feel. That's just what it was. Right. But, um, I just remember, you know, um, I asked for them to give us a moment and just let us just have time with her. And I remember washing her up, um, for the last time and putting her on her little PJs and, I laid with her for like two, three hours. And then um, the day was just so crazy as far as that next, that morning when we were leaving. Because that's how you know we was like in shock because we lost the keys. <laughs> yeah. We, it was just kind of all over the place um, trying to get out of there. And I still don't know how I left out of there. But that's what I recall and um, I know I'm missing details and stuff. No, like that. no. I mean, I appreciate you even explaining it. That's not easy to um, explain, especially from a mother's perspective. But trying to look at the light in all of this, um, what were some of the signs that you received from Jordan after she passed away in the um, beginning? Um, we're going to do another episode. We're going to talk about recent signs. But, you know, what? what's a few things that happened right after she passed away? Oh man, like we we've gotten such beautiful signs from right. her. Um, I think my most favorite one um, was on my birthday, or the day was it the day after? I think the day after my birthday, um, you had bought me a balloon, and it was in the living room, and our room is like kind of far back from the living room, so it was a fresh balloon full of helium. I, me and him were both just sitting, chilling on the bed. And the balloon floated from the living room all the way back to our room, full of helium at the height of my bed. Like somebody, like a kid was holding it down. <laughs> and mm -hmm. that was just crazy. And it floated right to me. You remember that? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and it floated right to me. It was just real special. Um, I remember her singing, too. <laughs> yeah, so that that was another one I was going to say. I'll let you talk about that one. But no, you can't. So another, you can't. One, another one um, that I remember that was special to me was I woke up. This was kind of shortly after she had first um, passed away. And I woke up, and um, it was a rainbow above our bathroom door. Like, just bright and clear as day, just a freaking rainbow <laughs> mm. on the ceiling 
And I'm just, I'm looking around the room trying to see what it's reflecting off of that's making it appear to her and I couldn't find anything. So I'm like, wow, like, and I just sat there and I was just like, thank you, Jordan, and talking to her. And um, mm-hmm. I took a picture of it. And like shortly after I took the picture, it just slowly faded away. Um, it's so many more, um, but you could talk about the singing one. No, you can. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I think we were... um in our bedroom just talking chilling and uh he was and isaiah was like hold on you hear that and i was like hear what and i started listening and then in that moment like i felt my ears plugged and i it sounded like a kid like a child singing a little girl with reverb if y'all don't know what reverb is it's kind of like when it sounds like it's echo like yeah, yeah it don't even sound like it's coming from a human being the way I described it, because I'm not a producer, so no, I don't <laughs> the, know. Way, the way I described it was like one of those toy microphones. It sounded like a kid singing through a toy microphone, but my it was like a different sound. Like my ears plugged, and I heard a different sound. So we heard her singing. So we both got up and checked to see if little uh, Isaiah Junior and Jazara was awake, and they both were knocked off sleep. So it was just crazy. Um, I think that was really beautiful. And I still heard the singing because um, I was standing there and Jordan and Zari was knocked out sleep and I still heard heard the singing mm-hmm. as I was right by the room. Yeah. So I didn't see anything, but I heard I heard the, I heard the singing. And what I mean by I don't see anything, I didn't see an angel as far as Jordan. <laughs> um, but you know. Um, I did hear it because I know some people may say, well, that could have been your daughter singing in her sleep. The door was open. I was looking straight at Zari and I still heard the singing, Right. you know, so um, anybody that's kind of like on that whatever type of stuff, you know, you know, try to debate that. But anyways, to 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 pretty much. um, Oh, 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 you have some more. Yeah, Remember. So it was one more I want to talk about. Um, Go ahead. Uh, when we were um, in our room again, because Jordan used to sleep in our bed with us in the middle. We had a big bed, and uh, we actually bought it so that she could sleep with us. So I feel like that's probably why a lot of the activity took place in our room, because that's where we always right. are. <laughs> so she would love to like mess with our lights. She would flicker the lights on and off all the time. And um, one particular time, we were back here talking, and um, we just saw a spark, like a flash of light in the middle of the room. Like, oh, just, yeah. it looked like lightning, kind of, just a big flash of light, and then it kind of dispersed into, like, tiny sparks. And it was just, that was the first time I've ever seen anything like that. I've seen it quite a few times now, but um, that first time was just crazy to me. I don't even know what we were talking about, but I wish I knew. But that was another one um, that was real nice. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, And just to let y'all know, um, the spiritual meaning behind um, flashing or sparkling lights, okay, is connecting with a deceased loved one. Again, that is connecting with a deceased loved one. Because what we always try to do when we have some of these things that we see, we always look it up to kind of get the spiritual meaning behind it so where we're not being biased. Because we don't want like a cup fall on the floor. And we'd be like, oh, that's the meaning of, of, of Jordan rolling the cup on the floor to show us that she's rolling on. You know, <laughs> like, no, nah, like we always try to look it up. So we looked up everything from orbs, from 
you know, the, you know, flashing lights and stuff of that nature. So, again, that's what it means when, as far as her describing the flash. She even looked up the rainbow as far as what that represents and what that pretty much means. Um, so, we always try to do that. And even numerology, because my wife have this special ability to to see not the deceased, but to see the signs. Um, it was a point in time because she lost her older brother. Um, she will always see, didn't used to see his, the number of his birthday. Like I used to see 929. Yeah, time. but I'm talking about, I'm talking about your, 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 um, your, no, your I've, I've always saw 929. I just didn't know what it meant. That's crazy. So you saw 929. And by the way, cause y'all probably like, why, 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 what the hell y'all talking about? September 29th was the day that our daughter was born in Isaiah cause they both are twins. And she's right. She kept seeing 0929 even before Jordan. Yeah, I was like 17 when yeah. I first started seeing it. Yes, yeah. ain't that crazy? She was 17. So 0929, that's why numbers is um important. She kept seeing 0929. Our kids was born on 0929. Okay. Um, And then our daughter, yeah, like I said, our kid was born on 0929. And even after our daughter passed away, she kept seeing 0929. So I felt like that was crazy. She saw that way before we got together then she saw it even when we got together then she saw it um when our daughter uh passed away 0929 so that's that's crazy yeah, yeah. but anyways um thank y'all for listening um i'll definitely like to thank my wife for explaining or answering these questions because it's not you know easy questions to answer um like i said i really wanted to get her perspective y'all done heard my big mouth talk about all my perspective on certain <laughs> things so I wanted to, you know, her to give her perspective. This is the Forever Growing, Forever Learning podcast. Thank y'all. We out.